0: welcome to monstrology episode 15 uh this Ooh, is a very that's such an
1: epic intro
0: yeah yeah uh it was worth it <laughs> Totally. <laughs> monstrology episode 15 this is a very special episode and it is our very first creature feature so the way Woo! that this works is it's all about one specific universe. And without me immediately spoiling the universe, although all of you have it on the title of this file, which you have clicked, um, (laughs) but I've committed to this for 15 uh, episodes, so the bit will never die. Imagine if you had to choose between the number one and nine, which is your favorite number? Well,
1: okay, so within the universe in which we are going to be talking about, my absolute favorite does not fit within that system. Mm-hmm.
0: But well, I know just what a, you're saying. Just a, just a number. I mean, I imagine just just, a, a just, number. just pick
1: a number from just one pick, to nine. Just pick a yeah, number, number from one to no nine. No big deal. Um, it's just numbers, I'll, right? So. Uh, well, but numbers can be very significant. But well, anyway. Yeah,
0: I suppose.
1: Uh, I, then <laughs> I'm going to have to go with five.
0: Nice. Five. Um, yeah. I think... <laughs> Five is the best number, but my my favorite number is four. Yeah, because four in this case is the original number because this week's creature feature is the universe of Star Wars. universe of star wars is massive um if you are listening to this episode you probably know lots about star wars you might in fact know even more about star wars than us i mean it's possible that we know more than you as we love it and have researched it as well um uh, but uh lots of respect to listeners out there and the creators of Wikipedia, uh, which i used li- <laughs> which i used liberally when researching these uh monsters um, today, we're going to be looking at a few different focuses of the Star Wars universe. We're going to be looking at some inspiration and design. Uh, we're going to be looking at the vocal and physical executions of the monsters. We may or may not be doing some impressions uh, that Madryn <laughs> has has worked, uh, worked at for uh, years. Um, <laughs> no, it just, just gives me what, such anxiety just thinking what, about it. What monster is that? <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's my anxiety uh, monster, Will.
0: <laughs> oh, like, like, a, like a big mouth monster. Yeah. Um, we're also just going to take a look at some of the highlights for us of monsters in this universe, our best kills. And to top it all off, we're going to be going through our each of our individual top three creachy Award winning <laughs> monsters, because no Creature Feature is complete without the Crechy Awards. Um, so... Let's uh, kick it off here, Madrin, with some, just a uh, discussion about the inspiration and design. Um, I know that w- one of the things that structurally set up the first Star Wars film, and I'm not sure if, if you're aware of this, is Akira Kurosawa's The Hidden Fortress. And I, like, knew this a little bit, but I watched the film in preparation for this episode, and I had no idea how strongly he used that film as the structure of the movie um so for those of you who don't know uh the hidden for uh, the fortress hidden forest that's something else uh, that would be
1: a good movie too hidden yeah. forest
0: i kept wanting to say like the hidden castle and stuff too but I, anyway no and yeah in one uh, of
1: the video games that i play that's one of the like storylines is that it's there's a group of elves and there's like a a, a, a forest that it's constantly moving hmm. And so people are always looking for it. Yeah. Well, there's
0: hidden castles too. Anyway, yeah. this film is is Akira Kurosawa's The Hidden Fortress and the the first thing that you'll notice if you watch this film as a direct comparison to episode four and really some of these things carry into the arc of the first three films episode four five and six is that the story is told from the perspective of the two lowest characters so there's two commoners um kind of peasants and uh they're even in a kind of like dusty field it's not a sand field like star wars but they're walking around in this dusty field um it's, and they uh, eventually encounter um, a, a general in hiding who's very much like the Obi-Wan Kenobi character on Tatooine and a princess with a secret identity. Um, the princess is like, even like kind of like feisty in that way and strong. Um, I think Lucas does subvert the princess even more by uh, he described that as making her a stand and shoot character <laughs> rather than having to like, just inform people what to do. Um,
1: yeah, but I do, I do recall, because I saw this movie a couple of years ago as well for the first time. And I do recall that that princess character in the Kurosawa film is like, she is also quite like defiant and takes mm-hmm. no guff and like, um she, and she gets a couple of really good punches in, too, mm-hmm. in some of the fights and things like that. So, but then ultimately, of course, has to go and like fulfill her destiny and mm-hmm. rule her people and be more of a diplomat.
0: Yeah, she just doesn't get to act on as much of the like battling and the fighting as Leia does, which I think is a yeah. great part of what makes that character stand out as a typical, I guess now, Disney princess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It, the, the film also ends, uh, episode four, with a kind of award throne room sequence, which like shot for shot when you look at the two. In, in this case, it's just five characters and Star Wars has this massive room of people like applauding, but the shots are really similar. The, there's a kind of samurai style showdown with spears that very much mimics the, the showdown between uh, Lord Vader and Obi-Wan, and in this case, um they have lord of yamana and this isn't specific to the hidden fortress but george lucas has also been very blatant about the fact that darth vader his costume is borrowed from samurai uh outfits like even the helmet and the design and and the whole yeah and the jedi robes are
1: are very similar in that respect as well too
0: so it is kind of amazing to see how much she blatantly borrows um and, and from a design point of view, in terms of like the aesthetic of the movie, the other thing that that specifically The Hidden Fortress does is, is he does those like transition wipes or like in yeah. Star Wars, they do the thing where it's the circle, Star circle cut <laughs> or whatever. Or yeah. um, so that I think uh, it has some direct shot for shot comparisons, but you can tell that it was like a huge influence on him in a way that I wasn't quite um, aware of. Um, uh just while I'm on this subject there's a really awesome samurai culture episode in season two of the Mandalorian which was uh great I think it's episode five so if people are looking to see the thread of this original idea come to fruition uh check that out um so there's some other like characters um that I have this is not specific to uh, monsters, but I will get to a couple monsters in a second. I know Madron's got some that are more kind of the design and inspiration behind the monsters, but just a little bit more for the Star Wars universe to set us up for the scope of what we're going to be diving into. Um, C3PO's design is very much borrowed from the Metropolis uh, Android. like it's a similar kind of golden Android repurposed a little bit. Um, and I would say the entirety of Star Wars is influenced very heavily by Flash Gordon. In fact, before Mm -hmm. he was making Star Wars, he thought maybe he was going to do a Flash Gordon adaptation and couldn't get the rights to it and started writing. And you can tell that the DNA just never left what he was working on. And this kind of um, space opera, even just like a little bit more like campy humor than you see in other sci-fi. And then on the flip side of that kind of camp, the last, I would say, film DNA that I can find that led into Star Wars is Dune. Uh, Because he really, especially for Luke when designing Luke's character and coming up with his storyline, it's very Paul Atreides, the the force sensitive chosen one with like a strong family uh, lineage um Tatooine is very blatantly uh stolen from these giant sand dunes um they even put like spice into the new man uh book of boba fett i think it may be mm-hmm. referenced in mandalorian but boba fett really they go for it because i i thought for a while they just avoided it probably because oh they no could get in like trouble. within
1: yeah no within the expanded star wars universe there have been um like the spice trade is quite a, a significant part of the yeah. storylines when you get into more of of like the 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 crime factions and like the huts kind of they don't really they're not really part of the much of the mm-hmm. spice trade. Um but you know, and like and they touched on it too, like in solo and that sort of thing as well. Yeah. Right.
0: It's it just feels like so much time has passed now since the first Star Wars film that you can't really claim now that it's like, hey, they stole our IP. Like it's been so long that it's like, they almost get away with it because they buried the lead well enough at first. Uh, But it's clearly, it's from Dune. And um, even like Sandworms made an appearance in the the Mm -hmm. more uh, recent series. I was like, that's that's Dune. Anyway, Dune was uh, great too, the newest Dune. If anybody's interested in seeing it, I really enjoyed it. Um, Also
1: stars Oscar Isaac uh, of Star Wars Poe Dameron fame. (laughs)
0: Oscar Isaac, double dipping. And just uh, completed his uh, television run as Moon Knight. Yeah, what a guy! He's on,
1: <laughs> he's on uh, fire.
0: He's doing it. Um, yeah, that's all of the filmic references. But just George Lucas is say say what you will about um, his like prequel films and just some of the the, the short natured um, I think burnout that he went through but his world building is extraordinary. Like he he managed to take so many of these influences and put it together in a package that is in my mind, one of the best in the world and always will be and a source of inspiration for so many people. And especially these first films, he really executes on his idea in a way that is like, just incredible. So I have a lot of uh, respect for George Lucas, even if he just, uh, I think he just suffered extreme burnout from how much stress and work it was to keep going with those.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Like, especially again, like you said, if you look at that, the original trilogy of Star Wars there and you go and you look at and and, and George Lucas is very open and honest about who his influences are and, and yeah. the kind of film work that inspired him when he was in school and like just starting out as a director. But, and you can really see, okay, well, here's where these Kurosawa films come in. Here's where all of these old Western movies come in. And it's very tropey, right? You know, you've got your hero, you've got your scoundrel, you've got your princess that needs saving and that sort of thing too. But that he can take all of this pre-existing stuff. There aren't, they're not truly original ideas, but that he can make them his own in such an original way Mm -hmm. that it becomes its own new thing.
0: Well, it's funny, and then I... now
1: uh, so many other people are now trying to—I don't want to say imitate, but you can see now that, oh, well, that at the time, uh, you know, too. Star Wars is such a huge influence on everything else that has come after it.
0: Well, there was so many films at the time that tried to be Star Wars, and really, the thing that stopped them from doing it is is George Lucas's execution of his world. I mean, he also had you know um, some some powerful connections to, I'm sure, money and resources, but. His vision is what made Star Wars succeed, where everybody else tried to do something Star Wars-like that just fell flat on its face. Um, Well, I mean,
1: really, with those first, like, especially when they were making A New Hope, he really didn't have that much power and influence. Like, he's friends, obviously, like, he's friends with, uh, you know, Spielberg and Mm -hmm. James Cameron and things like that. So these big powerhouses now. But back in the day, none of them were really you know they weren't famous they didn't have a ton of influence on what they did there's a a very very... famous you know i've read all of carrie fisher's memoirs of course and there's a story that she tells about how um they had to fly coach uh when they were filming a new hope and her mother like absolutely flipped her lid because she was like no daughter of mine is flying coach you make them give you a first class ticket and like i guess like apparently debbie reynolds who is Carrie Fisher's mother got on the phone and like was chewing out George Lucas with Carrie Fisher being like, mom, it's fine. I will fly coach. Like, it's, what are you doing? This is, what are you like? I just want to be in this movie. What are you doing? So, yeah, I mean, certainly like they had to fly their main famous cast coach
0: (laughs) because
1: they couldn't afford, you know, so,
0: um, fun piece of trivia that I was just I was listening to another podcast and it was just kind of happenstance they brought it up but they were talking about the movie Carrie and apparently the film Carrie and the cat and Star Wars casted at the same time from the same pool of people so like Luke Skywalker could have been in the cast of Carrie or the cast of Carrie could have ended up being like they ended up doing the right thing but to anyone out there who didn't know that I was like oh like Sissy Spacek
1: could have played Princess Leia yeah
0: yeah (laughs) and it's like it could have just been that's just like they did the right job and cast the right people and now you can't imagine it anyone else other than who it is but it's so funny that like Sometimes the studios do that, right? Where they just do blocks of, of casting and, and see where it falls. I just thought it was well, and cool. I
1: don't, I don't really know if this is the way that they do it now, but like really, really back in the day, you used to be hired on a studio contract mm-hmm. and it was like, okay, your contract says that you have to be in six movies in the next four years or like mm-hmm. whatever it is that your contract says. And, um like you really did not have very much say in which movies you were in. Oh yeah,
0: and you couldn't do studio pictures with other people too. Like yeah, now and, it's like, all and there was daily. no way
1: that you would, yeah, like if you had a contract with MGM, there was no way that you were going to be able to be in a movie that was like universal or like whatever the other production houses mm-hmm. were at the time. I mean, like I still think- own, the, They owned you for the, whatever the period of your contract
0: was. The big studios right now certainly have people that are a little bit, let's not say like in their pocket, but like they have, you know, we're talking about Ox Isaac. He's done real good in the Disney circuit. And I'm sure sure that there is some sort of consolation for like, okay, so we have you for eight months. Like it might not be for six straight movies, but it's like in these eight months, we own you, like you need our permission to do anything else. And, and just by taking up that much blocks of their time, I think it ends up being kind of a similar thing just because of how long they have to do press tours and all of that as well. Um, Anyway, that's a a whole other thing. That's its
1: own thing. (laughs) Um,
0: You were talking about kind of um, the way that George Lucas took things and and made it his own. Um, One of the pieces of production design that I thought was interesting is when they're talking about the creation of the Death Star. And they had these kind of original... Um production art a lot of the Star Wars production art is amazing and we cannot show it to you as this is a podcast <laughs> but uh, we've been looking at it in preparation for today and um, there was like a production art of Darth Vader fighting someone in a hallway and they're like okay that's cool but it's going to be in a planet-sized thing so it's going to be round uh, so you got to do rounded hallways and also um, It's The the Star Wars story is very Arthurian, like as in the the story of of King Arthur. And so they wanted to have Vader sitting at a round table in that that would be his like council meets at a round table, um, which I thought was interesting. And that's kind of, I think, how they came up, uh, not solely, but like a lot of these things were discovered at the same time and they land on a planet. Um, And when it came specifically to the Death Star, uh, apparently it was, which is, I think, not a secret but um, inspired by the Reich architecture of Albert Speer. And when you look at this kind of like Nazi architecture, it is very black and red. And I think they they do this a little bit more minimalist in the four to six, but by the time you get to episode seven, it's like, that is, that is some overtly like Reich art of like a big speech with large red banners. Uh, so I, I mean, it's taking the contemporary evil of the Nazi party and putting it into sci-fi allegory so that we all kind of have this uh, ominous atmosphere. Um, But specifically the production team was like, we're we're borrowing from that type of um, production art. And, And the thing that's scary about it, in addition obviously to all of the horror of the Nazi party is like, it's very simple and daunting, but it's strangely beautiful. Like, this idea that supervillains always live in beautiful houses, like, it it very much applies to the Death Star or the Empire's art, because you're like, oh, I don't like it, but, like, aesthetically, it's very pretty. (laughs) Or even if you
1: go into the later movies, like, in um, Last Jedi, um, Snoke's throne room oh it's, yeah you know it's all that ominous blood red and he's got his guards and and again the same thing where it's just like oh I don't this doesn't make me feel good but it's mm-hmm. beautiful
0: or like <laughs> even like Vader's like I don't know what they call it like the meditation chamber that almost like yeah. closes like a mouth it's like it, the form of it is like it's so simple but also gross but cool like <sighs> Anyway, there's something about like the power and the beauty of it that is that is both off-putting and like awe-inspiring at the same time. Um, yeah, do you want to talk maybe a little bit about some uh, creature design uh, origins that maybe you found there, Madren?
1: Yeah. um, One of my absolute hands down favorite Star Wars creatures is the Wampa. Mm -hmm. Uh, I actually even had a now dearly departed, uh, absolutely gorgeous, gigantic, all white, fluffy kitty that we named Wampa because he looks just like one. So they're the. I can attest to
0: the existence of this cat. It was a wonderful cat.
1: (laughs) Yes. And a rug
0: uh, when it lied on and anything the, that you like, had. yeah exactly
1: <laughs> um, yeah so the wampas are like the those big furry snow creatures that are on hoth and they attack I mean, the one of them attacks Luke skywalker uh, what I thought was really so obviously they look to us very much like they're based off of um, the the yeti which is actually its own kind of mythological creature here mm-hmm. on earth like we don't know for sure that yetis actually exist in in real life so they're clearly like they're based off of yetis or like some people call them the abominable snowman um what's really interesting is that apparently early on just like some people think yetis do have in some of the concept meeting notes they were going to give wampas uh supernatural powers Mm. And then there were also some versions of it where it was a fish like beast who could actually swim through the snow. Um, Yeah, which I thought was like, oh, like, oh, I wonder how, but like, it's so funny to me that they wanted something that was a fish, like amphibious, but lived on such a cold planet, which is super interesting. Um, And I guess that there are some early old. Uh, production pictures where the wampa just looks like so ridiculous like there are some that it's just it's got this huge round fluffy face and these big round metallic Mm -hmm. eyes uh and so yeah i guess that there are like some old concept pictures that are like that that luckily have been (laughs) they shelved that um and another what i thought was really really cool is that they weren't originally called wampas I guess the original name for these creatures was a yuzum. Oh, because there's there was they actually got as far as filming this stuff, and ultimately in the editing room it was scrapped. But apparently there was because we actually don't see too too much of Wampas in Empire Strikes Back. But I guess that there were whole scenes that were going to play a much bigger role, where we actually see a whole group of them attack Echo Base, and they come bursting through the walls and actually manage to claw their way through the ice
0: um i have and in uh, all of
1: this concept stuff it's called a yuzum so that's mm-hmm. what they were yeah i guess that's what they were originally going to be called
0: i have some more uh wampa information but it's going to play into some of the uh, later sections um oh you can look forward to that
1: yes. um
0: i can uh, what i will say uh, anecdotally is i saw um that um as Mark Hamill kind of is uh, a little bit precious about Luke Skywalker and I love him for it but also sometimes it drives me nuts because it's like he's not the perfect altruistic hero at all times (laughs) no one is that but I think he really views him as like this pinnacle of goodness and that's what he represents for him and so he's like there's lots of things where he would like he would never do that and um in one of the edits right like he cuts the arm off the wampa Uh, when he's when he's escaping um that that opening sequence and in a tweet he was like I fought so hard not to do that I was told that it was just gonna singe him lightly and scare him and then I could get away (laughs) but it's just like full full on chops off a wampa arm which is also I I like that they did it because it's a nice mirror to Luke losing an arm later on so maybe there's some karma involved um in like a kind of motif way but i just thought you'd appreciate <laughs> mark hamill's yeah i was reading
1: like apparently by the way that he cut off the wampa's arm and then you don't see to like you only just kind of see it uh cut off the arm and then it's you know like there is some blood and that sort of thing but it's not mm-hmm. like it's spurting everywhere and all over yeah. the place so i was reading too that that this is now proof that canonically wampas wouldn't have very much blood or something oh, like that right. it was just like beca- yeah they're not because, gonna die know, from he...
0: bleeding out it just freezes i guess yeah
1: basically that that's what it was that just like oh that <laughs> that they must not have very much blood because you didn't you don't see it spurting out I, I hope <laughs> that
0: that's just like after the limb they just kind of like catterize it in ice so it's just like cut off and they just smush it into something frozen and um yeah is that right cauterize 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 oh, cauterize maybe i said it Yeah. Right. Is there any other monster origins you want to talk about before I start getting into physical vocal monster executions?
1: Well, I think you can't talk about wampas without talking about tauntauns.
0: Yep, hundred percent. I-
1: also have a cat named Tauntaun, who is still of this earthly plane.
0: <laughs> so really, we're getting a good update on uh, Madrin's pet situation. Here's my
1: cats. I also, mm. I mean, not that it's a creature. I also did, Tauntaun had a brother named Lando, mm. but Lando unfortunately died when they were very young and I was very sad about it. But anyway, <laughs> but yeah, so Tauntaun is still over there. And it's funny, we named her that because when we first got them, she basically was just this like ravenous little beast that we'd eat everything and so we were Uh like oh she's like a little goat and then but and then separately we had a joke in our house about how tauntauns are like space goats
0: Uh uh-huh
1: so we thought that it was just perfect that like here she is this like ravenous little weird creature that's in my house (laughs) who really yeah she really she lived up to her name she was very much like a like a tauntaun (laughs)
0: um so- uh,
1: what I found was, yeah, what I think is really interesting too about Tauntauns is that, and I, you kind of see this a little bit in the movies, but again, it's a such an inhospitable, cold planet is Hoth, and so you would think that it would just be warm-blooded, furry, furry creatures who live there, but Tauntauns are actually... Um, like li- they're actually lizards. So they actually have like a lizard scaly skin and then they have these big heavy layers of fur mm-hmm. over top of it. And I guess part of one of the, so, you know, there's the joke that when Han goes to save Luke and he cuts open the tauntaun to keep Luke warm while he sets mm-hmm. up the tents and he makes a joke. And he said, Oh, I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Canonically they, because of this scaly lizard skin secrete this absolutely horrific rancid oil Mm -hmm. and that's part of how they keep themselves warm and how they attract their mates and things like that and and part of communications like it's a pheromone thing but apparently it's just absolutely rancid to anybody who is smelling it so that's where that joke uh... comes from is that and again like i guess there are film there are scenes where you hear you you hear more about them talking about how terrible these tauntauns smell like i've got this book here what's the title of it the illustrated star wars universe and what i love about this book is that all of the entries are written as though they are from the perspective of actual star wars characters Mm -hmm. so like the entry on hoth is from major krem monon who is chief of the rebel alliance corps of engineers
0: Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) so he was saying that like the Tauntaun smell so bad that he overheard one of his men insulting the other ones by saying that he smells as bad as a Tauntaun. And he thought that that insult was so horrendous that he put him on like the worst duty for a week as a punishment for insulting his fellow officer or, like, fellow rebel (laughs) (laughs) with how terrible it is Um, that insult was.
0: While we're talking about Tauntauns, um, I also have a bit of Tauntaun information, just for those who maybe don't know what we're talking about. Tauntauns uh, are kind of similar to a beast of burden. Um, It has the ears and nose of a camel horns of a yak or another mountain animal, and the rest is kind of either kangaroo or dinosaur-like. And yeah, when I was looking at the production design, it was... it ended up being way more lizard than what they landed on, which yeah. in, in my mind is they landed on something that kind of looks like the like dragon and the never ending story. Like it's like they this do look white, a little, just a little boring, bit, uh, yeah, yeah, with their just with their face. The rest of them, it, yeah. they're very practical. I love the design, but it's funny that they they didn't go lizard, they went kind of just a little bit more, um it's just a little bit sweeter in a way like that and, and they I are, know- yeah they're
1: kind of cute and and i think that 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 was supposed to be like the juxtaposition of it right it's like the rebels move into hoth and there are these two more dominant indigenous creatures right there's mm-hmm. the the wampas and there are the tauntauns and they domesticate the tauntauns to help them with car- cargo and going from point a to point b and things like that as well too so like our domesticated beasts of burden here on earth you mm-hmm. want them to- Be a little cute right Like you don't want to think that you're trying to domesticate something that's really scary and is going to kill you at any given
0: moment. Well I know specifically for this uh, monster as well, one of the influences around creating a tauntaun was that they were meant to be kind of playing with the idea of like a snow Western, like the Tauntaun was supposed to be like a cowboy and its horse. Like they were close, they have a bond. And so when you see them going through snow, that's the same type of thing. There's a couple other monsters that are a little bit like this, but it, this in the first three films, that's the closest that we get to that image. Um, that was again an influence on on george lucas oh see Echimace that's interesting
1: yet. because you never actually hear anybody refer to their tauntaun by name or you never really see them be affectionate about it right i don't know and like it- even even han solo has no qualms no, with but- driving his tauntaun to the point of death and then just being like chopping that thing and I, like i understand he does it to help save his friend but like yeah you don't were this more traditional western he would be like oh i hate to do this to you sally I but i gotta save my friend you i know? think that's
0: <laughs> more about i was going to talk this as an honorarily mention of uh, best kill but i think this uh-huh. is in, in a way if we look at it like an animal that they're at least a little bit bonded with it means that um that like the the cutting into it is more of a um, important moment. Like Han Solo is the right person to have no qualms with doing it because it's going to save their lives, right? Like he's the guy who's going to do it and it makes sense. Um, but I liked that idea of like, you just have to sacrifice this thing that saved your life. Um, I also, so we're just going to get into a little bit of the execution of these monsters. Star Wars is an interesting world because, you know, when we ran into this talking about a specific character um, ep- many episodes ago, but that many of the monsters are have been personified and fleshed out to the point that they seem like they may not qualify as monsters. Like they're fully sentient as a human being would be, but they're obviously not human. So we get this kind of gray area. So if there's any monsters, imagine that you want to talk about that you're like, ah, I'm not quite sure if this is a monster, just talk about it anyway, because that's kind of the power of the Star Wars universe is that we get essentially alien races of people that are not quite human and not quite monsters.
1: Oh, oh, I you see. What so I'm you're saying? Like, like Max Rebo. You're like, is he a person or is he a monster? Yeah.
0: Or like Bib Fortuna or like there's things where you're like, you are like, you're sentient like a human being on planet Earth but you are not a human. So if if you have overlap, I've largely tried to focus on the things that seem like creatures. Yeah, I was going to
1: say, I went solely things that that I thought were like, I'm like 99.99% sure I'm just, monsters. I'm just yeah. giving
0: this disclaimer. Cause I think there's some for me that might have a bit of overlap. Yeah,
1: no, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, yeah. Like uh, somebody we like, can't use, um,
0: we can't use star Wars ethics to talk about monsters that were conceptualized off myth. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, even if it might technically disqualify them in some of our usual definition as a monster, anyway, wider, wider field. Um, Uh, Wampas I was going to talk about just because I think that the way that that was shot was really well executed great sound great design and this happens with a couple Star Wars monsters where you don't really see the full monster like the way that they film it is quite selective and I thought it's one of the best executed monsters certainly in that I mean in all of it but in that original trilogy like I I love how fearsome that monster is and and the fact that a monster could could take out Luke Skywalker, albeit that he's not fully trained, right? But he's still gone through the full journey of the first film. Is strong enough to take him out, just says something about the power and might of that specific monster. Um, yeah. And I love yeah. the design. And I, that. and
1: I think, yeah, it's well, it's kind of like with Jaws, right? The, the less we see the of the full body of the monster, the more our imaginations can fill that in. And just mm-hmm. like with Jaws, There was originally, they had built a whole full suit, a full monster suit for somebody to actually play the wampas. Like I said, that they had, they had actually filmed a whole bunch more stuff with Mm -hmm. wampas and that ultimately ended up being cut out. So I guess the, um, it was, uh, going to be played by somebody in a full suit Mm -hmm. made out of sheepskin, but he had to wear stilts at the same time. so it proved to just be like completely unfeasible it was too unwieldy uh i guess this the outfit gave him heat stroke Mm
0: -hmm. so they ended
1: up having to completely scrap all of the shots that had the full-size life-size wampa in them and later most of what it was was that they had built um a small wampa hand puppet Mm the and then the only time that you see that hand puppet a puppet is in that close up when he attacks Luke Skywalker. Um and so then in the expanded edition that came out in 97, mm-hmm. George Lucas wanted to see more of the wampa. Mm-hmm. And so what they ended up doing was they constructed a scaled down small version of the the costume without the stilts and all of that. And that's how they, they filmed some of that. And then those new shots were filmed in a small replica of the cave to make the illusion as though the wampa is much Mm, bigger. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So just like in this, like with jaws, right. They built that whole huge mechanical shark. And then the whole thing, you know, like it kept falling apart and it didn't work very well. And it was just awful. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they ended up just scrapping most of it.
0: I, I think it forces more, creativity and precision for the filmmaker when there's that limitation right like yeah it's it's more exciting the pacing is more specific if the filmmaker isn't capable of doing it like if the director just can't execute pull it off then sure yeah maybe it'll look bad but I think the execution of it was great and it forced them to be really precise about the kind of sequence um anyway I love that that part it also, I think, practically served to justify Mark Hamill's change of appearance of his face between yeah. episode four and five. because it was it a car accident that he got into? Or he had some sort of a pretty horrific accident that he got surgery for a, that big old scar. And so they used the womp as a way to justify Luke's physical change.
1: Yeah, he was in a car accident. And so, yeah, like, so it was a car accident. And yes, he had to have, I mean, technically, it's reconstructive surgery on his face, like parts mm-hmm. of, you know. And that sort of thing too. But according to him, the stories over the years as to what had happened to him were have been completely exaggerated, completely overblown. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess there are some versions of the story where, like, he almost died and half his face fell off and he had to right. have skin grafts. And he was like, no, no, no. It's just like I was in a bad car accident and, like, they had to have some surgery on my face. But, like, clearly I am fine. <laughs> like, yeah. It's fine.
0: He still looked like but himself, yeah, that's why, but it was.
1: But you th- are right, is that that is why? Or, or and actually nobody's I think nobody officially has even confirmed this but so many people think that that is why that they added in that part of the wampa attacking mm-hmm. loop and that we so specifically get that we we get to see that shot of the wampa striking him across the mm-hmm. face like that so
0: I think it's it's a good compromise too so that they just never have to explain it like it it, it works well I, I think that story device works perfectly so that the actor can just be the actor for the rest of the movies. Um yeah on the flip side of monsters that were executed well there's one monster that i actually loved the design of but it appears in the prequels and the execution of it kind of drives me crazy just because of the cgi of it i think it takes away from the sequence so we talk a lot about like you know the ingenuity that's required in pulling off the wampa i love the design of the Acklays. Do you remember these ones, Madryn? They've got like this terrifying face. They appear, I think, in episode two, the Clone Wars. Oh, the yeah, it. yeah, yeah.
1: They're in the arena fight, and right? And
0: they're like the amphibious reptilian crustaceans. They've got like a terrifying face. They've got six deadly claws, razor sharp teeth. Like, I think they're one of the most intimidating designs of, of an actual kind of scary looking monster that we see in Star Wars. But because the fight sequences were animated, like, the, the way that like Obi-Wan actually kills it is very like, let me like twirl this lightsaber and just stab it in the back. And it's like, yeah. oh man, like they've got such good creature designs for that sequence, for that kind of like battle royale. And it's just, it, I didn't like the way that it was shot. So I give that like a 10 out of 10 on design, but like a, I don't know, a three out of 10 on execution. It made me sad because I look at it and think like, wow, this is a great, uh, monster
1: well I think that can be said for a lot of things about uh, the prequels <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like a lot of things were yeah like really great concepts, mm-hmm. but because George Lucas was so obsessed with using such modern technology that really just wasn't quite there yeah yet. Like, I mean we you just... can't
0: blame him because it I, I I see what he was trying to do because that's really yeah. what made the original trilogy work too. Is you took a leap of faith on on modern technology, and he's just that guy. But ultimately, I think just yeah, you're right. It wasn't quite there. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I gave him an eight to ten on effort. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, certainly not from a lack of trying. Um, but my 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 top physical vocal monster execution. For me, the best one-two punch in all of it is Jabba the Hutt and the Kuwakian monkey lizard with the like shrill (laughs) cackle uh, named Salacious Crumb. Salacious
1: Crumb, yeah. So
0: I I think of all of the designs of, of, of monsters in Star Wars. They're like my favorite because the voices are so distinct for each one of those creatures. The designs are so sharp and it's perfect. Like they just work perfectly. They're iconic. Um, like even Salacious Crumb on a very practical level is always like stealing little bits of food and everyone's kind of annoyed at him but he's just entertaining for Jabba enough to be this kind of weird um, you know an an unofficial court jester pet Um, and just the idea of a notorious crime lord also being the literal embodiment of hedonism as this massive slug. I, I just like, it's my favorite of, of all the monsters. When I thought about who, who nails it the best, uh, that's, that's who I've got. And yes, Java falls in that category, right? Of being a sentient creature to talk, but like, you are a giant slug. You are absolutely in my sure, mind, yeah. a monster. You can have all the personality in the world. You are a monster. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So that was, um, Uh, my favorite um any other uh physical vocal executions you want to get to imagine
1: well i'm not really what do you mean by physical vocal i just mean like
0: the design of the creature either by like the actor puppeting it or just the the or it could be the cgi it's like for me there's um they had an idea and they executed it really well and and that's what i think of like for, for Java is like it, it. the production team came through and the vocal actors came through and it really just works on every level. Um, you know, we're going to talk a little bit, um, we're going to take a break soon, but not yet. There's still a very important segment to come uh, about our highlights. So if you have any um, monsters that kind of sit in your highlights that you think you might want to elevate as to the top tier of uh, monster executions in Star oh. Wars, you can as well.
1: Well, I also think, such a an iconic and like instantly recognized but so briefly monster is the dianaga
0: oh yeah mm-hmm. Which
1: it's the garbage creature that's in the the trash compactor on the mm-hmm. death star in the first one and again too like from all you ever see in the movie is just that one-eyed tentacle one-eye thing that comes out and blinks at you and then you see luke skywalker get pulled in under the water and then that's pretty much it like that's pretty much all you ever see of the dianoga but people are so into it and it's such a great creature that there's all of this again this mythology about how like uh dianoga are actually like uh teeny tiny creatures that stow away on different um like uh, vehicles and things like that and that's how they end up being spread across the universe and Mm -hmm. that's how one ended up in the death star and like initially darth vader was going to keep one as like a fearsome creature trophy kind of thing Mm -hmm. but it proved to be too unwieldy in its cage so that's how it ended up in the trash compactor Mm -hmm. um yeah i just like it's again and i think it too is just you know what is what is that creature that's lurking down below what is that unseen horrible monster that and and you just see that one blinking tentacle eye that comes up and you can just imagine all of the things that you can't see that are under the water like what is it that that's attacking Luke what pulls him under. Mm
0: I uh, absolutely agree. And all that I'll say is that it's a, a award worthy monster, perhaps. Oh. <laughs> um, all right. So and what,
1: I, what, I, what I thought was really cool too, in, in doing my research on this is that, you know, that um, the eye stock that comes up, has it's kind of furry in some, or like it has some hair in <laughs> <Yeah>. some places, <laughs> apparently that was actually hand sewn hair. Awesome that the puppeteer actually like sewed in by hand, thread by thread, which is just mm-hmm. amazing.
0: <laughs> um, all right, Madrid. Well, I think it's time. We've arrived at the most important segment on our important new format of Creature Features, which is your best Creature Feature monster impressions. Oh no. Now, doesn't have to be good, but it has to be your best. <laughs> so do you have any uh, monster that you'd like to, to kick us off with I've got two that I can kind of do. Um, I can do one, and then you can do one, and then I can do another one, or I'll let you jump in with whatever you want.
1: The honestly, the only Star Wars creature that I can even remotely do a good impression of is the pork. The pork? Okay, I don't have yes. the pork. Uh,
0: okay. Let's, okay, let's do the pork. Oh,
1: here it goes.
0: But <laughs> all those. Put Put all those voice acting classes. I know I've work. been taking
1: voice acting classes <laughs> for a year now. And I'm sure my, any any one of my teachers listens to this, they're going to be like, why, why did I graduate you? Why did I let you pass this class? <laughs> okay. I haven't tried my Porg impression in a really long time, but so here
0: we go. Here's the best. Oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> I, uh, I can't do that. They're like, they kind of, uh they bounce a little bit as they speak too. Yeah,
1: they're kind of like, bouncy chirpy furry like they're almost you, like penguin birds can, they're, but they're furry can you do yeah. the same
0: thing but the version on the millennium falcon where they're like concerned
1: uh oh i'd have to i'd have to hear it first it's like the same it, it's sound. more like okay 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 you know what i mean like they so I'll okay, Alarm port. you can, you can port. do the
0: sound better than I am, but I just that the sound that I think of them is when they're on the Millennium Falcon and I think they see something and they're on like basically the dash of the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, yeah,
1: Falcon, no, I know what you're talking about. Okay, alarm, alarm port. Okay, here we go. <laughs> 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 that was not uh, as good.
0: No, that's okay. It's uh, It was your best and I appreciate <laughs> oh, it. Um,
1: oh, Carlos and Crystal, if you're listening, I'm sorry. You shouldn't uh, have let me pass animation classes.
0: No, it's great. Um, you're not the original, but I'm sure that when they come up with these monster sounds, it's a blend of like 16 different noises that don't it exist. It is, yeah.
1: Actually, I was so, listening. Um, yeah, the, the wampa is, it's a mix of an elephant... Oh, I'm trying to remember what it was now.
0: Well, it's, it's an okay.
1: elephant and a sea lion.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> I know there's together. some that are a mix of like dogs, long dogs long. and horses and stuff. One um, the, of uh, the, the two impressions that I can sort of kind of do, the first one uh, is Jabba the Hutt. And the Ooh. for sure the best actor that exists that could do this impression is Bill Hader. So really, I'm doing a poor man's version of Bill Hader's job of the hat. Um, but I was doing this in my apartment, and when I do it, my dog assumes that I'm choking. So if you uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, if, if uh, you hear much noise, it's my dog freaking out. So. <laughs> oh, I put all my pressure. I, I put all the pressure on you. Now it's back on me. Okay, so yeah, the Jabba, the Jabba one, I feel like I'm going to like, oh, I thought, I, I'm going to adjust my body to the mic. It's like, That was actually pretty good. Yeah. It's like, it, there's something about like, he's always choking. So you're like, oh, he's a
1: yeah it's like uh, it, he's so he's so fat so, it takes so much energy yeah. for him to just get the sounds out that he just <laughs> kind of sti- it just, like stifles them oh, the
0: yeah it's like sticking like your so tongue slimy out and gross. really yeah yeah get, die. um okay so that's my Java, which is passable um the other one that i can do which uh two hour debate and and um oh here comes your dog uh no no actually my dog was okay so i guess he's learned that i I haven't been choking the other monster that i can do which we still had a a a healthy debate about whether or not they were a swamp monster is yoda and
1: yoda is not a swamp monster no uh,
0: but i'm sure and and i accept (laughs) accept you
1: accepted that verdict
0: i accept that verdict but did you know that the original production design for for Yoda was, was very much based off gnomes and dwarves. Uh. So I have just in the, um, I'm not going to read out the whole thing, but I've got this trilogy of books that is The Art of Star Wars. It says it was formerly titled The Art of Each Individual Book, like The Empire Strike Back or... Uh, Richard of the Jedi or whatever. I got them from a great actor named David Cook uh, who fell in love and moved across the world to Greece and sold all his books and I bought all three of them for I'm sure a very low low price. <laughs> anyway um, with Yoda I'm just bringing up his production design because I thought it was interesting. They they wanted him to be like this old sage persona and they wanted his hut to be almost like a reverent space um, but they wanted Yoda to be Uh, Joe Johnson drew sketches of Yoda as a wrinkled, gnomish-looking dwarf with withered hands and odd feet for tromping in the mud. Um, Ralph McQuarrie made him less cute-looking with high-pronounced cheekbones and a prominent bridge on his nose. And these uh, conceptualizations were taken to makeup artist Stuart Freeborn, who sculpted the working model and gave Yoda his final characteristics but I, I had a whole bunch of pictures with them and they even had, um, oh, maybe I can't find the art of it now. Anyway, you guys can't see it because it's a podcast. I was going to say, you but, know,
1: it's a podcast, right? Nobody can but see I just, these pictures just for everywhere. myself,
0: It was on the very first episode of Monstrology. We talked about goblins and hobgoblins and the ones with like the the um the red cats. oh
1: the red hats yeah, and yeah, so, yeah
0: of like half of the original production designs for yoda he had that kind of red toque like he very much was gonna be a gnome and in i think kind of developing the character um they they tried to make it its own kind of distinct thing as they tried to work in just this reverence and uh, again going back to almost that like samurai culture and like not religion but just this, the sacrilege, not sacrilege, the sanctity of his space and his hut. And it's very minimalist. It's based off like kind of belief. Anyway, that's a very long way of saying I can kind of do a Yoda voice. And the, the way that I know how to do Yoda voice, I can't do it for very long, is that um, you start by doing an impression of Kermit the Frog.
1: Yeah, you start, yeah, so, yeah, because it's so all first Frank Oz, you're, right? You're kind of
0: talking like Kermit, and you're thinking about the way to speak, like Kermit the Frog. That's really good. all these things that you would do if you're singing on a log. And then what you do is you add a little bit of gruffness on it, so you can do a little bit of Yoda and voice I can do. But not for too long, because the strain, it kills my throat. But it's pretty pretty accurate
1: that was so good yeah. I'm so impressed I've now I Thank can't you. I cannot believe this I've known you a very long time and I have never heard you do that I'm impression i you are. I'm very surprised that is impressive
0: uh, uh, <laughs> um <laughs> yeah so I thought that was fun um yeah, I I like would love to be able to do like a full like long segment as Yoda, but I could only you can't breathe properly because like it's it's the Kermit voice with like basically vocal fry, and like I try to do it by breathing properly, but I just can't sustain it for a long period of time. But anyway, that was my Yoda, and this is the break. Welcome back to Monstrology, episode 15. I feel like I usually come in with a really aggressively enthusiastic voice. So today, <laughs> we're coming back from the break.
1: With your, like... With a nice, NPR voice. voice. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: You first started talking and I was like, what podcast are we doing now?
0: It's <laughs> the same oh. one, just cozier. Um,
1: You're like... um. Oh, I can't remember his name now. Okay, never mind. I was gonna make a joke, and I can't remember the guy's name. He does Moving a late, on. Night, yeah, uh, late night, yeah, late night radio talked, show.
0: We talked a little bit about porgs already, uh, but we're getting into kind of highlights of of monsters. And I just think that porgs are everything that George R. Binks should have been. Like, they are good comedic relief, they're quiet for the most part Uh, when they're not making the noise, they're cute, and they're delicious, you know, they serve many purposes in the universe, and they're not, like, obnoxious, they just function very well for, like, a cut-to joke, kind of like BB-8, you're like, I can cut to BB-8 and see five seconds of BB-8, and it's (laughs) perfect, Um, and I love Porgs for that reason. But I'm just putting them in my highlights because I don't think that they're the most dangerous monster. Uh, And I haven't seen them. Uh, I guess they are killed in the sense that they were eaten. But they're certainly not killed. We don't
1: actually, I don't think we actually see Chewbacca eat the pork, but he does get to the point of having a dead one on a spit that he has roasted (laughs) and is just about
0: to eat. It is, uh, I think, overtly implied. (laughs) Um, i
1: I think no well no it's overtly implied that the other porks guilt him into not eating that pork but at that point the pork is already dead and roasted to perfection i think it's just it's a waste of perfectly good pork
0: oh i think i think chewy is just being polite too because it's like he roasted the porg in front of them.
1: Yeah. Like, like why... why did they wait until he yeah. was going to take a bite? Why speak up now? That was, yeah. just,
0: that was just mean, you know, say something before he like, you know, cracks its neck and puts it on the fire. Yeah, agree. Um,
1: Hard agree. Hard yeah. agree.
0: But great design. Very cute. Giant eyes. Kind of these weird pelican, penguin, uh, Irish bird things. And I think they look great. sounds too as badrin has shared with us um (laughs) another kind of highlight of a monster and this thing i think uh they executed the cgi earlier because this is one of the the prequel um monster is um there's a female varactyl named boga that um like Obi-Wan rides on at some point when when chasing General Grievous and it it does suffer a death of which he honors when it falls I think into a giant kind of pit uh at the end of all of the sequence but they're beautiful like I think they're a, like really gorgeous kind of lizard uh they're they're a quadrupeds so they're four legged kind of like a horse they've got a beaked maw feathers uh, scaled skin they're green, blue, deep purple, very pretty and I like the idea that kind of like we were talking about the Tauntauns in in Snow, that they're like bonded to their rider, that the, these specific monsters, the Varactyls in this specific character, Boga, which is Obi-Wan's Varactyl in the film, um, they're kind of bonded to their owner. And I just think the production design is, is gorgeous. And they executed in a way like this was hard for them to do for CG because it was at a time where they had to do all of, Obi-Wan's movements separately like in in, when he was riding on just kind of like a harness like on nothing and then they had to put the the varactyl underneath for all of these chase sequences when I think Grievous has like a kind of uh, mechanical cycle and it it tracks really well like running through the city and all of this stuff but I think it was executed a lot better. And I remember it being very exciting at the time. So at least like the function of the CG worked. Whereas I think sometimes the CG fails uh, and falls on its face. Um, Yeah. Madra, do you want to jump in with a, a monster that was a highlight to you?
1: Yeah, actually one of my more favorite over the pandemic, I really delved into some of the deeper things of Star Wars, um, So like, I had been watching Star Wars, Clone Wars, like the animated series, and they released a seventh season that had Mm -hmm. not yet been planned. So that came out. And then also I've watched all of, I think there were four seasons of Star Wars Rebels, Mm -hmm. which was aimed at more at at kids, but I had to actually in the last couple of, like, especially that last season, it gets dark. Mm -hmm. But anyway, one of the recurring creatures in Rebels, Because early on, all of the action takes place just on the same planet, Lothal. And there is a native creature called the Lothcat. Okay. Um, And at first, they're just kind of like a joke creature. Like you just see them. A lot of Lothal is grass, like grassy plains. And so you see them kind of bopping around and they're hunting Loth rats. Mm -hmm. And they're just like really, really cute creatures. Like they have this very, very round face so and they obviously start with a cat in the thinking of it but then has these very tall skinny pointy ears and these uh, more like almost bird-like claws on the front of them as well too um then they become far more important in the actual mythology of the story so at first it's just like oh look at these cute like loth cats and like Mm -hmm. sometimes they get a little like aggressive and they're like you see them growling a little like a cat and like it's very cute and some people can kind of domesticate them and that sort of thing too um but then as the story goes on one of the characters in rebels his name is ezra we realize he's force sensitive and so he's training to be a jedi and we realize that actually one of his most um prominent jedi powers which actually we don't see explored very much in in the main star wars universes is his connection with um like other living creatures like he is able to actually influence and speak to and communicate like non-sentient non-speaking creatures cool and so, in one of these scenes, he has a vision of an incredibly rare white Loth Cat,
0: mm.
1: which leads him that by following this Loth Cat in his vision, he actually ultimately finds out what happens to his parents and like where he comes from and that sort of thing. So, it's very significant in the story of who Ezra is and like where his Jedi powers come from and, and really like the deeper mythology of his story. So it's very interesting that it like in those first couple of episodes, it's just like, oh, look at this tiny, cute little creature they've created. And then later on in the series, it actually becomes so important to our main character in his own personal growth.
0: There's another um, monster that I think a- appears first as like kind of just an aesthetically pleasing monster and then becomes more purposeful in the story. Um, and that's the uh Voltec, or Voltex, uh, which is in the Last Jedi episode eight. They're these kind of cute crystal critters that I think is what somebody describes them as. They're oh, like kind of like the, yeah, snow like foxes. the crystal
1: foxes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, so I just think they're a really great design. Like I again, I find them aesthetically very pleasing. I think that they like they executed them really well. But they do play into the plot really well. At first, you just think that they're nothing, and then because one gets through the cave they realize that they have an escape that they didn't think that they had um when the, when the, the last bit of the resistance are cut off and they they follow it uh, to escape from the first order and so yeah i just wanted to give a shout out to them because i think that that film especially like it really pushed uh i i like i mean let's not get into all of the last jedi before we alienate half of our uh, audience but i love that film and i think it really pushed a lot of ideas forward. Some people liked that, some people didn't, but the, the design and the aesthetic of the film is gorgeous. I love some of the creatures that they created. Um, yeah, and especially that one in that episode. Um, there's one more uh, monster that I'd like to highlight. This is also from uh, episode seven. So this is from the new films, and this is the tars Now, the tars are introduced um, uh, by Han Solo uh, uh, as well and the reference I think by Darth Maul at some point that the fact that they're relentless and he has like a kinship with these monsters because he can relate to how kind of insatiably angry they are um I don't have the exact quote for for that but they're the basically they're the scary tentacle monsters that are on top uh, that are in Han Solo's ship when when they discover Han Solo and then it is very like horror-y that they're running down the corridors from this these giant tentacled predators that are known for their sophisticated techniques as pack hunters. And so as soon as you see one, you realize that there's also more of them and they start taking out these like fighting gangs on the ship and um, the design of them is awesome. It's one of the few, again, we, we don't always have straight up horror influenced monsters in Star Wars because I think we empathize so much with the creatures that we don't see them as a source of fear. But for sure, the Raftars are meant to be scary. Like <laughs> you see one coming at you, and you're like, "Get out of the way! It will rip you apart!" <laughs> you know, there's thought, there's humor in that, but the creature itself is meant to be terrifying. Um, so that's yeah, my last. that
1: scene, that especially because it's such a fearsome and like you said, relentless. Like you can see, it has so much energy and so much drive. That's always about a, a, like attacking. Whoever is coming after it. Mm-hmm. And we see it in such an enclosed space on this ship that Chewie and Han are on. And so it's just this, like, okay, I got to dart down this hallway and down this hallway. And it's just mm-hmm. like this, this frantic run uh, race away from this creature.
0: Mm-hmm. Even like hiding under the floorboards and stuff, too. Like they hit a couple of horror tropes in that sequence. That's- I was going to say, it
1: feels very re- reminiscent of Alien.
0: Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's JJ, I think. That's JJ at its best, I think, is establishing character, yeah. playing with tropes, all that stuff. Um, and so I loved that part of it.
1: Yeah. Uh, one last creature that I think is super, super cool are the Minox. Okay. So they're like those bat-like creatures that attack the Millennium Falcon oh, in, yeah. epis- in um, Empire when they're hiding out in that asteroid. Uh-huh. And again, the the reason I like the Minox- <laughs> When they're hiding
0: out in the- asteroid asteroid yeah
1: (laughs) um i think they're so cool because i think that they could actually exist right Mm -hmm. they're they're basically or like they're based off of bats right they're just like essentially giant bats Mm -hmm. and so what's cool about them too is that you know, kind of going back to the the thing we were talking about before is that the less of the creature you see, the scarier it is, right? There's like Leia, she's sitting there in the cockpit by herself and you just hear (laughs) as it goes back and she's like, there's something out there, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and you only ever just see, uh, you know, a pretty short glimpse of the Minoc, but you realize just how formidable and how terrifying this creature is. And what I think is also really cool about it that makes it unique is that it feeds off of the energy of the ship? Like, it's not trying to eat cool. them. It's not trying to attack them as people. It's... Instead, the, the threat comes from the fact that it's going to cripple their ship because and it's draining be the power source. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure. And that's... So it's just like, yeah, that's a creature that, like, it's not actively trying to kill our heroes, but it's still going to do a, a damn good job of doing that anyway if yeah. it succeeds.
0: I'm pretty sure that was one of the ones that they controlled manually too, like on a pole. I'm I pretty think sure so, it, was pu- yeah. uh, it was puppeted. Like the, the, at the time, those are the earlier films, but I, I think I read something about the fact that they were controlled and and that's part of the fear of it too.
1: Well, and that would make sense, right?
0: Mm-hmm. The timing of it for sure. Yeah. Um, all right. Best kill uh, so in this scenario, really uh, originally I was thinking this is the best like slaying of a monster, uh, but I also found a really good example of a monster slaying someone else. So I have opened it up uh, to to both uh, directions. Um, I've got some honorary mentions, and then I've got. Um, the most satisfying Star Wars kill that I have experienced, which is a little bit niche, but I think will be important. Um, Madrin, would you like to share your kill so that I don't spoil it with one of my honorary mentions?
1: Yes, because I did not do as my, I, this is a new format for us. So I was mm-hmm. unsure as to how much I was supposed to be preparing well, for
0: look, look, Madryn is like an encyclopedia <laughs> of Star Wars knowledge. So I have to do a little bit more prep <laughs> to make sure that I don't like fuck up a planet name or, um, I'm like a Star Wars. I'm a huge Star Wars fan in particular. I've seen the very first film hundreds of times. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I've seen all of them as well, but, um, Imagine has a little bit more uh, depth of, let's say, legacy knowledge.
1: There are many conversations in within my household that revolve around these things. I think the problem is, is that Will does not really have as much opportunity to exercise his nerdom freely <laughs> yes. in the same way that I do. <laughs> I get home and I
0: look at my dog and I say, so, so what's your thought on the porgs? You know, would you eat them? Would yeah. you not eat them? Yeah. And he just looks back at me like, I don't know what you're saying and I don't care. Hello, how are you? <laughs> Which is the beauty of a dog. Anyway, so what's your kill, Matron?
1: Uh, You know, I'm not sure if this, I, if I would say that this is my favorite, but this is one that definitely has stuck with me since I first saw it. Is in Return of the Jedi, Jabba the Hutt dumps Luke Skywalker into a pit with the Rancor. Mm-hmm. And this Rancor is such a fearsome creature. It's absolutely enormous. It's got drool all dripping down its face these huge claws it's an absolutely terrifying creature luke barely escapes with his life the only reason he ends up killing the rancor is because he manages to use his jedi power to bring the gate down on top of his Mm -hmm. head and kills it but the thing that really stuck with me so much about the rancor's death is how it affected the rancor trainer Mm. They make a point like the the our 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 intrepid uh uh, filmmakers have actually made a point of casting someone as the rancor trainer to have a scene where he goes to the rancor's dead body and we see him actively mourning it he Mm -hmm. is so upset he's crying here's this grown man who works for the worst crime lord in the galaxy, Mm -hmm. who is just brought to just sobbing devastation because his favorite creature has now been killed. Mm -hmm. And it's, it has stuck with me for so long this entire, you know, since I've, I first saw it that like, it really was such a, it just drove home to me about like, you know, who, why something is important to somebody even if it doesn't seem that important to everybody else and you know here was this creature that was supposed to be one of the most fearsome frightening things in the galaxy and someone loved it so much mm-hmm. that they were brought to such devastation by its death it was just it was really such an interesting choice to have in mm-hmm. And, and and it's a small, it's it's you know a pretty small part of the universe, you know, especially within the bigger universe of how we're now trying to save all of our heroes. But it, it just it really has. It's a very poignant scene. Mm-hmm.
0: I agree. I love that. Look, I mean, if you're a a, a monster uh, breeder, uh, trader, trainer, you like you don't have a lot of opportunity of who you're going to bring monsters to. Like, you know, there's only a few rancors you can find. You raise it from 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 its youngling stage. And if somebody, you know, offers an opportunity for it to, to live somewhere for a little while, you, you bring it to them and you accept your fate. Um, So, you know, that that uh, guy just happened to be dealing with Jabba. Um, so.
1: But you would think, but that's the whole thing is like, we see all of the other people that work for Java, and they're just as terrible as he is, right? Like mm-hmm. Bib Fortuna is not a good person. Those Gamorrean guards are not good people, Mm -hmm. but you get the impression that this Rancor wrangler is actually like a really nice guy Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so you then you kind of wonder like how could such a sensitive soul be working for literally the worst person in the galaxy
0: this um i I know that uh, today is all about star wars but in final fantasy that's often a case too where you've got these like crazy monsters and there's often like a sympathetic trainer that's like fighting along with them and it's just a part of like that universe too um okay I'm gonna get into some of my best kills, uh, working up to the one that was the most satisfying for me. This one is probably the least amount of a monster. I just think, and imagine, maybe this is debatable. It could be a hot take, I'm not sure. But I'm gonna give an honorary mention to Darth Maul. Darth Maul is more of a sentient human thing. But he was raised on Dathomir, which is definitely not Earth. Anyway, I, I, he's he's the most human. So I, this is just an honorary mention. I'm not sure if it qualifies. But his death, I think, is maybe the most satisfying kill in Star Wars. The music and the sequence and the way that it's all put together. Oh, Duel
1: of the Fates. The Duel of the
0: Fates. An incredible
1: Look, piece of music. There's
0: there's more important characters that are killed. But the way that Darth Maul is killed is, I think, the best kill In all of the films. There's some other good ones, but I don't know. Say what you will about episode one. That that sequence is awesome. Um
1: I yeah, agree. Agree. Yeah. that's definitely a highlight. It's definitely a highlight of episode one.
0: There's some other big I, ones i would
1: argue i'm not sure i would put darth, darth maul in a creature capacity because mm-hmm. he is humanoid right he is a person yeah. he has a name we hear him speak he has his own personality
0: he's got kind of like horns and stuff he's mm-hmm. he's like raised by the witches of dathomir i saw some evidence like that people describe him as like half human just anyway mm-hmm. i i agree that i don't think it anyway i just didn't want to not include it because it's epic um in terms of another kind of humanoid, and I think we can agree that this one resembles less of a human, is Greedo. A very iconic kill. Uh hand definitely shot first, and it's important oh, yes. for his development as an anti-hero, into hero rather than a hero into a hero, because that's boring. We already do that. Um Greedo, take it do or You know, leave I it. have
1: a I have a Christmas tree ornament of that scene.
0: Uh, uh, does it say uh hand shot first on it?
1: It doesn't say that, but it actually <laughs> plays the audio, the original audio from the original movie. And so you can uh-huh. hear Han's blaster go off first yeah. in the audio. But yeah, is... the ornament itself is like, it's shaped as though it's that the booth in the cantina and it's mm-hmm. Han sitting across from Greedo. And you can see they've each got their,
0: like, their, <laughs> their blasters out. I just think, like, out. with, like... Ele- <laughs> Taking away some of the lore and detail that we know about the Star Wars universe and going to like kind of a production design point of view, Greedo does not resemble a human being, even if he walks on two feet, you know, like he is something, uh, 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 you know, otherworldly. Jabba, I think that we can agree is a giant space slug with an identity. And that sequence of Leia killing Jabba with chains, with his tongue hanging out oh gross yeah, they even do so a cut gross. I re it they do a little cut to his tail that's like shaking oh, yeah. as and it dies like- <laughs> it's like wriggling and the thing that I'm taking away with it it's it's immensely satisfying because Leia is kind of getting her revenge on the way that she
1: gains back her agency like she yeah. kills her captor yeah yeah
0: but also it's it's just impressive that Leia is strong enough to yeah. choke Jabba that's what i was like i watched it again just for that sequence to see what it looked like to remind myself and I was like Is she strong enough to choke a space slug? And also, I learned from that sequence that Jabba's windpipe must be very close to the front. You know, like it can't be in the middle because there's no way that the choking would apply. So I thought that that was interesting. It's definitely emotionally. I mean, you might, yeah,
1: in terms, yeah, like in terms of Leia being strong enough to do it. Definitely, I think like we don't give her enough credit as of, as an actual physical fighter. You know, Mm -hmm. we, we think of her more of a strategist and things like that, but yeah, I think that she would be, she could be physically strong enough to do it. And then you also have to, you could put in the argument as well too, is that, um, of course later we know that she herself is also quite force sensitive Mm -hmm. and, um, and we, and and, and we also, Mm -hmm. the, um, like episodes seven, eight, nine delve into this a little bit more, but we know that in a lot of ways she's actually Stronger in the force than Luke is as well too. So it's mm-hmm. entirely possible that she had some force assistance in helping yeah. her to kill. Jabba. I accept.
0: Yeah, that is just it's just like <laughs> when I was watching the sixth one, I was I was just thinking about like any human being would have difficulty choking this massive slug. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. Uh, and like and Carrie
1: Fisher's not a very big person, right? Like no. she's like five five.
0: I was like, it didn't it didn't bump me when I was watching the movie, yeah. but when I was just looking at for the kill, and I was like huh, <laughs> it just stuck out to me. But you're right, uh, though.
1: I however many times I have seen Return of the Jedi and it never occurred to me that like maybe Leia wouldn't. But I stand by my she used the force. For sure. Theory. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's the sometimes Star Wars answers earlier questions later on retroactively. And that's part yeah. of the way it goes. Um have you, okay, there's a deleted scene in episode five, Madrin, who I, I think you described as your favorite of the nine numbers at the very beginning, it is. Um, which everyone now understands is episodes one to nine of Star Wars. Um, there's a deleted scene with a wampa. Do you know about this scene? Okay. So it's in the battle of Hoth. Um, oh,
1: wait. Yes. Okay. There, Do is, you a, know what you're there talking is a about? short then, yeah. scene.
0: That's basically a comedic bit where like they're walking down, if it, it me laugh, it's it's good. They're walking down, but like you see C-3PO walking down, he sees a sign and he's like, oh, oh, I'm just going to get them with a the sign. He, he rips down the sign. It's in like a different language. So it doesn't say exactly what it is, but it rips the sign off and keeps walking along. Then you see about like, five stormtroopers walk over and they look at the door that used to have a sign on it and then they open it and out comes a wampa arm that just pulls them into the hallway and they do the wilhelm scream which is like the classic film just random pawn (laughs) die yeah yeah Uh, i believe i used it as a sound effect of the last episode the door closes again and then the stormtroopers are just like standing there like awkwardly looking at each other like oh we gotta go after him and Darth Vader walks by and I know he's wearing a mask but he basically gives him his equivalent of a dirty look like what are you guys doing standing around here and then they all move on and I was like look I understand that the battle sequence of Hoth didn't need this little like comedic bit (laughs) in it, but it's a good bit. (laughs) I wish that more people knew about it.
1: Yeah, apparently that is a remnant. So you remember I was saying that Wampas were supposed to play a much bigger role Mm -hmm. in that movie. So I guess, yeah, there are scenes where Wampas managed to actually break through some of the tunnels that the Mm -hmm. rebels have created uh, and all that, right? So part of it was supposed to be that like they've managed to contain- the Wampa outbreak into that area. And that's why that sign is up. Mm-hmm. um <laughs> It's like danger, Wampa. Yeah.
0: And C3PO is like, this will get him. I'm going to take the sign down. But you
1: kind of see, a, like, almost like a throwback to it later when they're on Bespin. Mm-hmm. And C3PO is like, oh, I'm just going to follow after this other droid who looks like me. And then you just see him get yanked and like you don't really know what happened to him afterwards and it's not until like several scenes later you see him in the uh like in the sorting area and like he's been completely disassembled right and then Chewie has to go and rescue him and all that sort of thing too so it's a bit of like a same callback to that uh, to a similar joke but within the same movie which is so funny
0: um to those of you who don't live in the city of toronto it is a beautiful day <laughs> and so i can hear some uh young hatchlings sc- screaming of excitement oh, uh, through mattress window
1: that's it- at my house there are some kids <laughs> who live uh like kitty corner to my house who like to play uh-huh. in the alley behind my house yeah Do let's you imagine- to- i can close the window
0: well if you want let's just imagine they're playing star wars i just <laughs> i was like somebody's gonna hear All it and they're gonna be like what is that but it's a beautiful day it is very hot <laughs> um Okay, I've got one more kill, and this is the kill that is the most satisfying to me. It's from a game. Uh, it's from Star Wars Jedi mm. Fallen Order. I don't- That was a great game. Did you play it? You played through it? Okay.
1: I know of it. Okay. I, I was an observer
0: of right. the game. So I've got I've got PlayStation. I, I think it was one of the best Star Wars games that have come out in a long time. And in Jedi Fallen Order, there is some little creatures uh, called Ogdos that are kind of like monster frogs. They're kind of just little, and you 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 slash them with your lightsaber and they're no big deal. Like they're all over the planet. Like uh now I can't remember what planet they're in. But um they're easy kills. But on that same, it's like the first planet you get to explore, because in this game you get to go to different planets and they're more open world. Like you get to go to um Dathomir and all these like beautifully constructed spaces um, but there's a pitfall that like literally you're walking along a field or whatever and you just fall in a hole and they put it on the first episode on purpose and you fall into the lair of an Ogdo Bogdo and an Ogdo Bogdo <laughs> is a giant version of a Bogdo which is the worst to fight against early in the game because you do not have very much strength and, and you just get rocked because it has lightsaber resistance as a shell. It's got three eyes, um, a light orange kind of giant tongue that shoots out, grabs prey and pulls them into its jaws. And so basically at the beginning of the game, you can fall into this pit that's very specifically put so that most players will accidentally fall into the pit unless you know, to like you, you're climbing up a cliff and right at the other side of like, when you get to the top of that, you just fall in unless you know to go around and everyone dies and at this point in the (laughs) game i didn't know that like you would come back to this planet later like i didn't know the format of the game so i assumed that i like had to grind at this and kill the (laughs) ogdo so i like really worked it for several hours and eventually figured out how to like roll out of the white the way and attack it from behind and like just not take damage and um anyone who has played this game it can attest to how infuriating the Ogdo Bogdo is. It's like a great monster. It's one of the four kind of like, I don't know how they describe it, as kind of like legendary monsters that you have to beat in the game to get a trophy. Um, but killing the Ogdo Bogdo is, anyone who has played Fallen Order can attest to that. It's like immensely satisfying in the game. <laughs> Those are my kills. This was the best kill segment. We are now moving on to the Kreechi Awards. If I had the rights, I would play the um, throne room music underneath this. I do not. So you'll have to imagine it as we, <laughs> as we go through. Um, we're each going to get three and uh, we're going to go through our third choice. First, we're going to go three to one Madryn. Um, oh, this is your I top have to choose three. my
1: favorite three Star Wars creatures. These are the
0: top three creature awards. These are your <sighs> bronze, silver and gold monsters. In, in Star Wars, um, they don't have to be, like, it's subjective, right? So we'll have different ones. But your top three creature Award winners for the Star Wars universe. Do you want me to start yeah, with I've my already talked.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go with yours first because I've already talked about all my favorite creatures. This isn't going to be very surprising to anybody.
0: Okay, so my number three bronze medal creature Award winner is crate Dragons.
1: Oh, they are yeah. very
0: cool. So in the first film, you just catch a glimpse of a giant skeleton on Tatooine. In the, the, it's in like the opening minutes. In the sprawling bones of a giant dragon uh, like kind of implies that there's like a terrifying world in this desert planet where it's just like there's brutal, scary things that can kill you, which really it's true. Tatooine is... F- there's like riddled yes. <laughs> with deadly monsters um um but it's also expanded upon in the mandalorian and you get to actually see it come to life as a crate dragon it's like very cool um it's one of my favorite creatures and i always just liked the dragon skeleton in episode four, which i've said my favorite film i'm not claiming that it's the best but it's certainly up there and it is my favorite i watched as a kid actually my brother received it as a um VHS as a gift mm-hmm. I immediately started watching it more than he did but I also didn't know that there was other Star Wars movies like I know that it says episode four but in my house we just had Star Wars episode four so I watched over and over and over and over and over and <laughs> over and over again and then at some point we had a babysitter it's like oh you know that there's like two other movies two right? more like, of these and right? it was like <laughs> it was just like my babysitter's boyfriend's house or whatever I was like what <laughs> and I like, <laughs> and I got to watch all these other but anyway so it is a special place in my heart but the crate dragons are awesome I think it also ties in a little bit to just the giant like kind of like sandworm logic from dune like that these giant deadly sand dragon cave things exist um, and there's a good um, episode where like uh, anyway they, they cover the the crate dragons in I guess and that's the first season of Mandalorian right it's one of the first kind of like standalone episodes
1: uh is it i I thought it was
0: maybe it's season second
1: season right because that's when he works with um timothy oliphant right oh
0: i guess yeah i know in the second season this is just a sidebar of mandalorian there's a great um episode where they deal with kind of like ice spiders and apparently that was from the production design of episode five and they never used them that like the layer that they pop up into and so it's cool to see that kind of I think that's when these kind of these TV shows are at their best is when they take really amazing production design and they don't just do it for its own sake. It like works very well in service of the episode. But I love seeing. Well, and
1: yeah, I think that that's what works with a lot of these like more individual Star Wars series shows is that we can take these smaller things that you don't have time to explore in the mm -hmm. movies, and you can make an entire episode about it.
0: Mm -hmm. All right. Your bronze medal creature Award winner, Madrin.
1: I'm going to say the Sarlacc Pit.
0: Ah, I thought maybe you would say the Sarlacc Pit. I I didn't include it in one of my highlights, but can I just say a little thing about the Sarlacc Pit that I thought was cool? (laughs) Sure. They're so old. I didn't realize that they're like, 30,000 years old or whatever. Yeah.
1: Well, because in the lore of Star Wars, Tatooine actually used to be completely covered in water
0: uh-huh. and it was
1: not always a desert planet. And so that's kind of where the the thinking is that that's where the Sarlacc, like it wasn't always a pit, that it actually is a thing.
0: Uh-huh.
1: But, um, and, in a, and it has managed to adapt itself and survive as the planet went from covered huh. in water to being completely desert.
0: Yeah. I just thought it was amazing that like number one, a creature could live that long, but that at the end of its life, it's just kind of like, you know, I've explored enough of the world. Let's just never move again. <laughs> <laughs> like, like yeah. you've absorbed it all. But obviously, that's the source of um Boba Fett's uh death in death? episode six, which is a little bit yeah. retconned in, of course, the book of Boba Fett and the book of Boba
1: Fett. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, but what yeah, and what I really like about the Sarlacc is that um when we see it in Return of the Jedi, you assume that it is just a native creature that happens to live in the desert and Jabba is using it for his own nefarious means. Mm -hmm. And again, I think the concept of it is really cool, Uh, kind of in a similar way with Dune, that there's this big gaping maw of a creature that has rows and rows and rows of teeth mm-hmm. and its stomach is so acidic that uh it when and this isn't the, the the whole thing that is like you'll have to you're digested over like a thousand years yeah, yeah. or something well you can never
0: yeah. climb out and yeah. like y- you you just get like poisoned to death like it doesn't eat you even though it has the teeth I guess the teeth prevent you from like climbing out but I don't think it, or like, I, I would imagine you, it might be it? a
1: defensive
0: no, no, yeah. no. But that's
1: the thing, is like basically uh, all it's especially venom. when Boba Fett falls in. We literally just see him fall in. It's not mm-hmm. like the star like actually chews on him or anything mm-hmm. like that. Yeah.
0: But it's the you're just seeing the the tip of the iceberg with that monster. It's like yeah. massive and it's kind of um, vertically just like burrowed into the ground. Um, all right. My silver award, my silver creature award goes to the Dianoga, which you mentioned is the uh, monster. And I think it's the first kind of like monster monster that we see in Star Wars. When we're talking about like many of these uh, monsters are personified in certain ways. It's in episode four. And I remember it being like, legitimately scary at the time. Yeah. Because it pulls somebody into the water and it's that fear of deep water, which I mean, I have a bit of that where you just go, whoa, where did they go? You have no idea how big it is. The design of the eye is like uh like gorgeous in a scary way. Like I find it quite menacing. Mm-hmm. Not yeah as an like adult. But like it's it, uh it's it's got like like a, Jim a,
1: Henson you know the creature creation at his yeah best.
0: but yeah and it's it's not like cute in the way some of the other no, monsters no. are like it is and you're right too. Like the I think that is the dire. first.
1: Yeah, I think that's the first scary monster exactly. that we see in the Star Wars world. Like we see banthas, mm, and they think that's basically about yeah. it. Yeah, before we you get see, onto like, the, there's
0: the cantina right where you see all of these kind of people. At, like, yeah, but they're at,
1: yeah, yeah yeah exactly. Like they're they're people, this kind of yeah.
0: this this kind of Star Wars logic right where <laughs> these monsters are people, yeah. but this is the first one that's just like a creature. And it stuck out to me as being legitimately scary. Um, It's gross. I've seen, like, I think maybe you spoke about this, but like I've seen other like concept art of what it looks like underneath where it's almost like like an octopus. Like it spreads Mm -hmm. out in a scary way and it's got these tentacles that reach out and that's what's grabbing you. But you only see the eye kind of pop out from the water um and again it's that that like minimalism of fear right you're afraid of it because you have not seen it all so it's just like the wampa where you have to be diligent about the filmmaking of that moment and what's going on and that whole sequence it's like you're you're going from a monster that's going to drown you to walls that are going to crush you like i remember being like this is for sure the scariest part of the first movie you're watching that you think everyone's just going to be annihilated um and your hero's journey will end um but it's strong enough to pull like a grown human underwater. Um, and it's like a stinky, I don't know. It's not a swamp monster, but it's certainly a trash-like monster. <laughs> um, yeah, I just love that design. All right, Madrin, your Silver Creechy Award winner.
1: I know I've already talked about them, but I actually okay. le- legitimately- Surely love
0: porgs oh you're giving them the silver medal
1: yeah they'll get my silver medal and what i love about porgs is that the way that they came to be in in our star wars universe is that apparently the birds that are on the island where they were filming like that stood in for octo there are so there were so many of them that they kept just flying into the shots and there was absolutely nothing that they could do they were like there are way too many of them we can't cg them all out this will take forever so it was actually easier for them to turn the existing birds into porgs than it was to try to edit the existing birds that's out. So, so it's just, funny. but I and that's what I love like... about it is that it's like they there were here was this problem and they came up with this really fun creative solution for it and they've given us such an iconic creature uh-huh. in that same way right like they're little and they're cute and they're furry and they make such adorable little noises and they are one of the few more comedic elements of Last Jedi. Hundred percent. I, and we get uh, to see Chewie being like, you know, he has his own little thing. And like, by the end of it, he's flying around in the Millennium Falcon with Porgs on his shoulders. And it's just, it's so much fun. They're such a fun creature.
0: Mm-hmm. I uh, I like that you said that it was easier to CG the Porgs because all I imagine is now that like Porgs were the original deep fake. Like they just took a seagull, <laughs> seagull and threw a pork face on it. And there's like deep fake them all <laughs> make porks everywhere. Um, yeah, I can't
1: remember if they were seagulls or like whatever the bird was, but yeah, apparently yeah. where they were filming that was standing in for that little tiny Island, yeah. on Octo. there were just so many of that. And then because the I nests were Ireland. all over the place. Yeah, I think, it's, I think so. I yeah, think yeah, it's yeah. Ireland.
0: If not, it's Scotland, but I think it's Ireland. Um, yeah. yeah. It's just a beautiful place like that, that actually the thing is it's also extremely dangerous that island while we're talking about it like i i was looked up at one point like deadliest places in the world just because i'm someone who likes to look up stuff like that and that island was on there because tourists keep wanting to go now because it was star wars because it was cool and they want to go to the star wars place but apparently those stairs on the outside that climb up to where Mm -hmm. ray meets luke is like extremely dangerous and so they warn people like you could die like this is like a not a good place to visit no matter how beautiful it is and they had to like be very careful when they brought the actors to set two. like I think with a helicopter they've just brought them right to the top um even if they cheated that a little bit but it's extremely dangerous place it to is... go.
1: yeah I was fortunate enough to tour around Ireland in August of 2019 before the world all went to crap and um it is amazing to me like how like what their how low their gaff is when mm-hmm. it comes to to a lot of the safety of of uh tourists and things like that too like i just imagine here in north america we have fences and walls and security and signs everywhere and it's just mm-hmm. so high alert on that sort of thing and you go around in uh, ireland and like i remember like you go out to these places like or like the cliffs of moher we went out to the cliffs of moher and literally you are like tens of stories up in the air it's a complete sheer face rock drop down mm-hmm. to the ocean of just rock and they're like yeah there's the edge you can like you want to go see it like that's the edge and you're like we're 20 stories up and they are like yeah you can I sit on the it's edge just, and you're like what it's
0: like, what? A, it's like australia so yeah it's just has, like
1: there. yeah
0: australia has all like the the deadly creatures and stuff this this place is just inherently dangerous. I guess it's so inherently dangerous all over the place that to keep reminding people would be a waste of time. Like yeah, in, and like, where we are, there's not that many dangerous things that are going to kill you just by walking by it. So it's worth it to put up a sign like, "Hey, be careful around here." But well, over basically, there it's like, the attitude is, is like.
1: Basically, the attitude is like, you're all grown adults. You can see that you are on a sheer cliff face with Mm -hmm. nothing between you and the ocean, but 20 stories of falling where Mm -hmm. you can contemplate how stupid it was for you to come over the edge of it there. You know, like their whole attitude is basically like, you're an adult. You can do whatever you want. We told you this was stupid. (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) that's funny. All right, Madryn, it is time for the Gold Creechy Awards. Um, dun, da, 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 da. if i sing it i think it's okay um okay my well we
1: also well just disclaimer we are making no money off of this we are not no, profiting no, no. off of will singing Indeed. the star wars music so.
0: not yet <laughs> <laughs> one day um my gold creature award Uh, And I thought a lot about this. I was looking for a creature that was physically menacing, somebody whose production design was effective, uh, where they were scary sounding, scary looking, and used well within uh, the films. And I landed on Rancors. Rancors are my gold Creechy award winner. I, it was sold to me when i was looking at the production design and they were originally conceptualized a cross between a bear and a potato that's how they came up with rancors and i was like
1: is are, that what they have such round heads Yeah, because they're, they're supposed like, to look like a they're potato. supposed to
0: be all lumpy and like malformed and they're supposed to be scary like a bear like oh. in the sense that they will just annihilate you with that fury." but they're supposed to be a half potato. And I was like, you win, <laughs> you win. You are both scary and hilarious. Oh. I can't beat that. Um, that is
1: another thing that I absolutely love about the Star Wars universe is that I have loved Star Wars since childhood. I'm very fortunate that my partner in life loves Star Wars even mm-hmm. more than I do. We had Star Wars music as part of our wedding uh, wedding. Um, ceremony like i walked down the aisle to leia's theme all right like we played yeah we played the throne room song at the end after they had announced us as being married like we are it's all over our house there's not a room in our house is not covered in star wars shit Mm -hmm. we are so into it but that right there was new information yeah i can see still learn new stuff about uh, this franchise that i love so much and is such a deep significant part of my life already And that right there rancors are based off of potatoes i cannot <laughs> wait to wrap up this podcast but, and go but, and tell my husband that he'll be but so it makes thrilled
0: complete sense right like it's just like it's now that the, you say it, I'm like, of course of it. it has
1: a potato head. It's um, so lumpy.
0: We talked about the the um, the use of them, like by Jabba as the torture in his pit, obviously at length earlier. But it is, I think, my favorite creature moment in the new book of Boba Fett series as well. The idea that um, he like the, the the trainer in in Episode Six like originally Danny they're like <laughs> yeah 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 but like th- that originally he's like oh be careful what you do with it like and he's like oh no no I wasn't gonna bond with this thing and you're like okay so they set up at some point that he's gonna be so you know with this it's
1: coming back
0: or when's it gonna come up and then it's a, it's like a great and obviously book of Boba Fett and Mandalorian really lean into again this western trope of of like cowboy with a monster. And we saw this with the Tauntaun. We saw this with the Varactyl. And then I would just never imagined that a like Rancor could be mounted in that way. And it's a great like ultimate kind of fight sequence of somebody fighting on top of a Rancor. Uh, And it's super cool. That is my gold, Madryn. Your gold award-winning creature. Who's it gonna go to? Or what is it going to go to? I should say.
1: Well, I think for anyone who has been listening to this podcast, this will come as no surprise. <clears throat> I've already talked about them at length. I really do legitimately love this creature with the undying passion of a thousand suns. My gold standard. <laughs> a thousand Star Wars twin creature, suns. That's right. My gold <laughs> standard suns. Star Wars creature is Wampas.
0: Nice. I thought I it might them. be. I love
1: them so much for for so many reasons they're like they look again they look like they could might actually exist in our world but they also have that sci-fi fantasy element to them Mm -hmm. they're menacing they're they're so they're terrifying there's every conversation that anybody has ever had about wampas is about how horrible they are i mean like look at look i know my our our viewers cannot hear this but look at this well look at Mm -hmm. it's like with the yellow menacing eyes and the big teeth and he's got the horns and with Mm -hmm. his claws and they're just, they're so scary.
0: (laughs) For our listeners, Madron is enthusiastically showing me- Holding up a book. As I think I did earlier as well. (laughs)
1: But again, like we see they, it takes out our hero so easily and it's only through the sheer coincidence of yeah, him yeah. being force sensitive and being able to to get to his light and like right in the the you know the, the nick of time he, luke manages to get to his lightsaber and cut off that wampa's arm
0: i think it's something there's that, such
1: a fearsome ferocious creature and i absolutely love them
0: i think there's something to be said that both of our gold medal award winners for the creatures are capable of going toe-to-toe with a jedi and that that tells you that something about the might of of those uh, particular monsters all right madrin it's time for your favorite rebranded segment with my <laughs> dying breath <clears throat> this week with my dying breath i'm gonna do two things so i guess it's like the false death so um, let's say that I was eating, uh, uh this is a re- real fear that I have. I'm in my apartment and I'm having a lovely steak dinner and I start choking on the steak and I'm like, oh no, I only have a, a few more moments to live. I'm going to crawl over to my PlayStation 4 and I am going to fire it up and I'm going to start playing Slay the Spire, <laughs> which is a fun, um, indie game kind of, uh, card game that i found and i think it was one of these episodes or maybe on a break for one of the other episodes we were talking about how i i like playing like strategic card games and um this is great because it's like affordable you don't need a giant deck you just unlock cards every time you try to do another run it's kind of like hades where there's uh, three runs and then once you unlock the whole game which I haven't done yet because it takes a long time to get to that you have to get these keys and stuff you get like a secret fourth level that you can go through but after a while if you can get all the way through these three different kind of floors you get new cards that makes it easier and they like you know it's kind of arcade style but I had a lot of fun playing it um in the past few weeks it was the free ps plus game uh, a couple months back it's not anymore but it's not very expensive and I think it's on all of the platforms. So as I lie there, playing PS4, choking on a delicious morsel of steak I prepared, I, I go over to a chair and I give myself the Heimlich maneuver and go, oh, oh, thank God. Oh, I didn't die. And Banks eats a little piece of steak off the ground and I go, well, I could go for some more steak. And then I go back to the steak and I tempt fate and I try to eat it again. And I eat a little bit more. And I'm so engrossed in the delicious nature of the steak that I eat a big old piece that gets stuck right in my throat again. And this time I know it is the end, but fortunately the date on the calendar is May 27th. And so with my <laughs> dying <laughs> breath, I am going onto that same television, I'm flicking to Disney+, Plus, and I am watching the <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi series, um, <laughs> which all of you, I assume, are going to do because you listen to this whole episode about Star Wars. And um, I get to find out at least how this um, character is being brought back into the world, as I am amped to see what they do with Obi-Wan Kenobi and Ewan McGregor. He's at that perfect age now between his former self and Alec Guinness. And uh, I love him as that character. I hope they do it justice. And then I go, oh, beautiful. And then I collapse.
1: And then you die. And I it's die. amazing. That was yep. amazing.
0: Thank you so Bravo. much. Bravo. Thank you so much. Um, the key is that I uh, just really love steak, I guess, in that circumstance. And I have to attempt to fate twice. <laughs> all right Madrid, with your dying breath what are you pitching this week
1: do i have to die in this i would just this i'm so confused by the new rebrand of this segment is the do i have to describe how i die or as i'm dying and then i tell you the thing that you should watch yeah
0: i mean do? you you can bypass the whole scenario and just say with my dying breath <laughs> etc but i all like right. i like creating the scenario just because of the the improv of it okay um, here we go the absurdity
1: As I go out for my daily walk, because the pandemic has taught me that going outside and going for a walk is very good for both my physical, but more importantly, my mental health. Mm. And I go out and I legally cross the street, but someone has run the red light and hits me and I go sailing across the road and there I lie in the road dying and I know that death is upon me. And with my dying breath, I tell a bystander, that I have recently started to get into the world of watching Twitch streams.
0: Come, come to me for Twitch.
1: Let me tell you of Twitch streams. No, really, I recently got into the world of watching Twitch streams. And I, at first I was like, oh, I'm just going to do this so I can get the drops for this, for the games that I play. But then I actually kind of got into the, I like, I'm super into this one streamer. Her name is Teach Courage. Mm-hmm. She exclusively streams Sea of Thieves, which is the uh, video game that we were talking about in the skeleton episode. Remember I said, there's a video game with all the different skellies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's Sea of Thieves. Twitch or Teach only plays Sea of Thieves, but she plays for like five or six hours a day. She is the oldest Sea of Thieves partner. She's a retired teacher who lives in, I think it's Denver. Okay. She's awesome. Her whole stream is all about positivity and love and encouraging people. And she just brings this like really warm, sunny, wonderful experience to the internet, especially on a platform that can o- on oftentimes be very toxic. Mm-hmm. So the reason, like I'm, Everybody, I think should go and check her out. But the reason I'm really going to push, I'm going to promote right now with my dying breath, because she is trying very much to be a Twitch partner. Mm -hmm. So she has set her own personal goal of having 10,000 followers. As of this morning, she had 9,100. So she's very close. Oh,
0: I'm going to have to get right up on that.
1: So with my dying breath, I tell this bystander and all of you to go to your Twitch accounts and follow Teach courage so that she may get Twitch partner and that I will know that with my last ounce of life, I helped to get her to that goal that she Mm. wants so badly.
0: I like that. And then I die. In this scenario, you're like, I must help this person. And I'm like, I must eat steak. (laughs)
1: But that's the kind of vibe that teach puts out. I don't even actually know her. Clearly, Mm -hmm. if she lives in Denver, we've never met. I like might write a little comment in the, you know, in the chat box, and she might say something back to me, but she has 9100 followers, there's no way she actually knows who I actually am. But she has cultivated so her whole channel is all about love and supporting one another and her whole, like she's got a, she's got a catchphrase. Every time somebody comes into the chat room, she says, uh, blessings and love to you. Blessings and love to you. And it's like, she's just got such a positive vibe. Mm. I legitimately would like everyone to go and follow her so that she gets her followers. She gets to 10,000. She earns Twitch partner. Cause I think she she's, she's definitely earned it.
0: We could all use some of that wholesome yeah. uh, love in our life. Um, okay, so that is the end of our dying breath. Our creature feature. Of our very first creature feature. Um, to everybody listening, Please let us know if you enjoyed this creature feature. If you'd like us to do more creature features, and if you have an idea for the next creature feature that we could do, they're kind of special episodes. Uh, we'll be returning back to our regularly uh, programmed format uh, for episode sixteen, which we love. But we figured we'd uh, spice it up a bit and do something. I like that
1: we did our creature feature on on episode fifteen. Yeah. Because it's like, it's a good milestone. Uh It's like a good time to be like, hey, let's just switch things up a bit Mm -hmm. and like have, you know, a very special episode. I like it.
0: Yeah. So maybe, uh, hey, maybe episode 30, we'll come back to it. Yeah. Or maybe sooner than that. If people are love, (laughs) maybe (laughs) 20.
1: (laughs) Maybe we'll do it every five. Who's to say? Who's to say? Who knows? We'll run out of
0: universes though. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe not every five. Well, we'll see. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I hope you have a great, two weeks and we'll see you uh well you'll hear us on the next episode of monstrology
1: for an interview,
0: I am. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you my swamp monster status, I must. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wasted my time, you have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Monstrology is homegrown Canadian content, co-hosted by Will King and Madrin McCabe, edited and produced by Will King and distributed on the Podbean platform. As a young hatchling podcast, it means a lot to us if you rate, review, and subscribe to Monstrology on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever your monsters are found.